fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 105.0 AM Palm Springs. Well, welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, of course, and Mr. Michael Hawley. It should be Tuesday, but it's not. <laughs> I know. I screwed it up, Al. So uh, at least it's Wednesday. Wednesday, yeah. Hawley, this time. Yeah, Wednesday, Hawley. Well, it's all a blur anyway. <laughs> this this time of year, everything's crazy. You know, I get so caught up. I was, you know, you're working, I'm writing and doing shows, and all of a sudden, and I run into the store the other day, and all of a sudden, I see all this Christmas stuff up. <laughs> Where did that come from? It was just summer. It was just summer. What's, what's going on? Goes fast, I'll tell you. It, it does. It's really kind of strange when you're away from it, um, you know. It just it just made me want to stay home. And then of course I get some sort of diseased cold from someone, you know, some pushy shopper, you know. See, I told you that old lady that you were ripping that toy away from. Yeah, that, she had it. I'm telling you. <laughs> well, she'll never know. She she got pushed down and knocked out. She won't know. I told her my name was Mike Holly. So that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. I always part of my yeah. Yeah. part of my image. Yeah, of course. You know, you can wear a suit all you want. It doesn't matter. Well, okay, let's jump into it today. We've got uh, an interesting author here, one that's writing uh, mystery books. Um, so let's bring him in. I know his newest book, I guess, is Angel Falling, which comes out here in early December, so it's just about this time of airing. So, Indy Peril, thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Nice speaking with you. So, Indy, you, I noticed your your uh, photos, like uh, you got your eyes covered. So uh, you're, who are you, who you running from? Uh, anybody that's chasing me, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah, I like to uh, keep my private life private and keep my public life public. Well, that's that's good, you know, have separate entity, you know, as long as you don't get them mixed up. <laughs> what what gets you, is it recovering academic, sorry, sorry for your loss. And, and it, so what brought you into doing novels like this and um, doing a mystery and thriller and stuff like that? Like what's, how did you get there? Yeah, well, I always wanted to to write fiction. Um, and, you know, when I grew up in a Midwestern city, um, not unlike, and which I used as the basis for Central City, I came, I grew up working class and I grew up in a background uh, that, you know, in a part of the city that had a pretty high crime rate and was able to get some academic opportunities that were unexpected. And it wasn't something that, you know, like, um, where I grew up, you didn't necessarily go to college, you know, and, and that wasn't really a, a path that people assumed. And when I did and worked my way through college and then had opportunities to go to graduate school and it seemed, you know, like everything was roses, you know, I brought to that world certain expectations, certain things that I thought working with ideas was going to be. And, um, and I just didn't have any, any experience with adults that worked in that world. And so it led me to a certain degree of disillusionment. 
I have a lot of friends who are academics or who are former academics or who, you know, dabbled in graduate school or whatever. And I don't think that my experience is, is that uncommon. Um, maybe where I grew up, you know, I didn't know a lot of people in academia that came from that background, but um, I know a lot of people who are disillusioned with it. And so um, it's funny that, you know, putting recovering academic on my bio does gets noticed, interestingly enough. And a lot of people either have similar experiences with that or it just draws their eye. And right. for, for me, you know, getting away from that, but still being able to use the ideas that I worked with as an academic in interesting ways and personal ways, it seemed like fiction was an opportunity to do that. And specifically mysteries and detective novels um, allow me to engage in some of those ideas that I think are important and were central to my work when I was younger. Yeah, totally. I understand that. I relate to that. And and mystery and this whole area is sort of, it, it ties in really good with academia, actually. It's just the, the whole concept of it. And the greediness of your characters are very relatable to academia. <laughs> I mean, have a few people calling me on that one, but um, that's okay. Uh, so now you mentioned Central City. So in a way, Central City is kind of the basis of where this is all going on, your story. And that is kind of, taken from your own city that you grew up with in a way it's meant to be like the archetype the archetypal american city you know if you go into rural areas of the u.s you know people will have ideas about the city that they see on the news and they think about crime and like urban crime and ghettos and things like that you go to a city and you meet the people there and they'll have different perceptions on what that means for them and how that fits into their imagination and their worldview and with you know, as, as you kind of mentioned, the idea of mysteries, you can take, you can pose a question through the construction of the mystery of the crime at the center of the novel, and then tease that out, right, to find the implications that it has for the characters, implications that it has for the victims, for um, the people related to the victims, and for the killer or um, the criminal. And the ability to do that in a setting that we... You know, the television projects in a certain way or a handful of different ways that we see in film and cinema in certain ways to be able to play that out and to do it in a way that's personal to me, right? Like the city and urban environment, the smells, the, the way that a sidewalk looks, the way that like streets and alleyways look and how they feel when you're driving through them and how you can shift, you know, from one block to the next. You might be in a completely different environment. And the ability to kind of build that out and relate it to the to the narrative arc. That's what fascinates me about that setting. Right. So in a way, you have to write um, your city as a character. Yeah. And it does it does have its own character arc. So one of the projects I'm currently working on, um, hopefully uh, to bring to fruition next year, is the origin story of Central City. Like going back into the 19, early 19th century and building out that story of the native population that lived there, you know, the European settlers that are arriving and how those cultures clash. And in Angel Falling, which, you know, as you mentioned, is coming out here early December, that's tied into that origin story. So it's meant to be a contemporary, it actually takes place in 1984, um, but it's meant to be sort of a, a recent, con recent, version of that origin story played out um, with an 80s sensibility. 
if if that's what you call the eighties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like a prequel then. Yeah, it's a prequel to Central City and, and Journeyman, um, the two novels that are um, that that both have Kane Culpa and Vincent Bayon, my two protagonists. Uh, Angel Falling is Vincent Bayon's first murder mystery when he switches. He was originally a narcotics detective um, and switches over to homicide. And this is his first homicide story. So he's adjusting to his background in narcotics and his disillusionment with being able, you know, being unable to, to build cases that were solid enough to make a difference. And he's looking for a way to make a difference um, in the city and his, in his own life. In that way, by paralleling the origin story of Central City, he's also engaging in the, whether or not the city can redeem itself, right? Whether the city can find redemption through the scars that, that occurred in its, in its moments of birth. So a lot of this, the, the emotional tie to this is sort of related to your own life in a sense. Like you talk about the dis- disillusionment and stuff of your, of your detective almost toward, it, it kind of correlates with you and yourself and, and, academia in a sense i'm right on that right absolutely and it i mean it's you know as you know you know it's hard not to bring yourself into your work and and you you know at least i have a tendency to um use it as a way to to get over certain things and to realize what it really means to me you know right well that's therapy for you and at the same time it makes it makes the character real it makes what happens real because it's coming from real emotion from the writer yeah Absolutely. And with, it's interesting because with Kane Culpa, um, who I actually share more, um, background with, he is in certain ways like my id playing out, right? He's, he's, um, a version of myself that is maybe a little bit, um, in the moments when he doesn't, when feeling does him no good, he does not feel, right? I can't, I can't claim that for myself, <laughs> certainly, but, and, and all my work is about compassion, right? It's about, um, the greediness that you mentioned earlier to me is a part of reality, but, and we have to, in order to find paths to compassion, we have to embed that compassion in that reality as we understand it. But Vincent Bayonne, the police detective is a true believer, right? He's an idealist and he struggles with finding ways to make his ideals work, to make them play out in the world around him. And, and as a, policeman right he's surrounded by people in their worst moments he's surrounded by crime and and you know degradation in certain ways and he doesn't have a direct sense of his ideals being a part of the reality around him and that is absolutely me coming to terms with that as as like a former academic as you know someone who wanted to do that is Kane Culpa the career criminal yes he is yeah Oh, is that your other side of you? Yeah, and yeah that's, that's definitely made it, for sure. Yeah, and I mean, it was, you know, growing up where I grew up, like, it's just hard not to get into trouble, you know, and I was in an, in and out of trouble until I was 21. Ah, okay. Right, yeah, part of, part of the life. So your characters then, your, your, your main characters, what is your relationship with your characters? How do you work with them or see them or how does it work for you to write about them in a book? I mean, like I said, Kane is definitely my id, and there are ways in which I can play out 
a level of coldness, a level of validation in him as a character. While at the same time, because he's a, he's honestly he's a decent person as far as I as far as I'm concerned. Um, you know, readers might think differently. I consider him a decent person, and and I'm trying to bring that decency and compassion out of him, and put him in positions where it's constantly being tested. For Vincent Bayonne, I, I would argue that he is weak. His inability to to confront what reality actually is and the fact that it's not the way that he wants it to be is i think in interesting ways a form of weakness but i don't know isn't that a form of weakness that we all share right like isn't that the psychical shadow and yeah and playing that out and and letting him confront those things and then struggle in the ways that he needs to struggle because he's an alcoholic you know, I think that that's, there's a certain catharsis to that as well. Research. How much research are you doing to, to fill in the times? I mean, some of it, of course, you were alive, but then you're talking about going back a long time. Are you, are you spending a lot of time working on, on research and that? Not only that, being, uh, being detectives and you're talking about narcotics to, to crime and all this stuff like this. How, how do you, how do you get into that? Yeah, I, I love this question. Um, whenever an interviewer asks me this question, I, I absolutely love it. And I feel like I never answer it the way that I want. So I'm going to give it, I'll give it my best here because I do, I, I do a lot of research and with, there are certain expectations that a reader brings to, that I bring when I read, you know, police procedurals and mysteries and crime fiction. And there are expectations we have about the verisimilitude, right? And I think that, you know, you have to do the research to get that right, to make it real. At the same time, it's not my project to show my readers and my audience what it means to be a policeman, right? My project is to tease out the philosophical ideas at the heart of the crime, and to show them, to show that psychologically, to show that through narrative. And so there are ways that I'll twist things to my own purposes, hopefully without betraying trust, because I know how important that is. And I experienced that again as a reader. In terms of the time period, there is, um, like dealing with the 80s, there's a certain vibe that I want to create, right? There's a certain tone that I want to create. And Central City takes place in 92, Journeyman takes place in 93. And in those early 90s, there's a different tone that I'm trying to create them from the 80s. And so there's research that you ha- that I have to do in terms of, you know, automobiles and ways of bridging like in 84 and bridging the 70s to into the 80s. Right? In the early 90s, I'm bridging the late 80s to that early 90s period and everything is like a little bit behind our expectations right and and memory can be a funny thing because you know some of this i did live through it as you mentioned and but i can't rely on that right i have to the tonality the vibe the the way that i'm trying to carry out the development of the city and the way that it feels is more important to me than creating markers that are necessarily going to be emblematic of the 80s. But it's not a VH1 behind the scenes, like, like 80s <laughs> episode, right? <laughs> it's, it's more of a music video from that time period in certain ways. 
Well, you know, that's it's interesting. When you when you started like you so you've got these main characters running through all of these books here that you've got. So did you come up with the concept, the idea, the story first and then put the characters in or did you have these two characters and maybe some more already created in your mind and you wanted to put them through this? So the concept of the city came first and the the way that I wanted to create and develop that setting and that tonality. And then I, from that, I had ideas that I wanted to plug in and play out of that. And the idea of having the two characters on either side of the law, that grew out of the question of, you know, how am I going to bring this together? How am I going to um, pose these questions and, and make it into an interesting narrative, right? And how, and what does it mean for a narrative? And then at that point, right, once you have those characters and you have a rough baseline for a story, then any sense of the ideas gets tossed out the window and you're looking at the narrative arc, right? And how you construct that and how, and you have the, the crime, right, at the center of it. And it was the crime and, and figuring out the crime and working backwards through that that brought the story together, right? That, that brought the characters to life. So in a way, it's almost like sci-fi world building. You're creating a world, putting people into it, and then situation. But the situation is more about more about a, a, a meaning. There's like a subtext or some sort of, you're trying to, like you were talking about philosophy. So there's kind of an idea that you're writing as a crime and how, how it's reacted to within the city. Am I right in that? You're exactly right. Yeah. And it's, it's a little bit like a water balloon, you know, where you, as you fill it up and you fill it up, if you're putting too much pressure in one area or another, it gets distorted. But if you get it balanced, then you can see the, the entirety of it. Right. I don't know if that's a great metaphor or not, but that's what came to mind. Well, that's interesting. That's just, uh, how far do you want to go with this? And like, where do you, where do you see, see this whole journey going? I don't exactly know myself. I, I have five books for, uh, Culpa and Bayonne that I'm one more that is almost completed and is slated for, for publication next spring. Two more after that that I have in draft form. And I don't, I know where I want that arc to end, right? I know where I want the city to go through these two characters. And I mentioned the origin story that I'm also working on. I, I don't know how much I want to do in between. I've done quite a bit of work just sort of developing their backstories and so on and so forth and putting all of that together in order to, to fill out the characters. But I don't know how much I want to get into telling those stories. I don't know. I mean, there's just, there's a lot that I could do with it. And I don't know. Uh, excuse the play on words, but how do you connect the non sequitur to that? I mean, it's like, uh, you, is that how, how, how you think? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so I, that's funny. So yeah, my, my, <laughs> my nonfiction on, on indiepro.com on my personal website, my author website is, is just a place for me to put out, you know, essays on, on things that have sparked my imagination, art, concerts, music, uh, books that I'm reading, things that are inspiring me and so forth. And it's just a way for me to explore some of those ideas that are influencing my work. And then okay. my newsletter is Perro's Prism. Um, and so the, those essays, excuse me, on the website are called Speaking of Non-Sequiturs. The 
my newsletter is called Paro's Prism, and it's where I take one theme, develop that theme in like a really short handful of paragraph essay, and then tie that through both my fiction and my nonfiction. Yeah, the idea there is that these are the ideas that drive my work, right? These are the the philosophical ideas or the concepts that are um, motivating me and pushing me in one direction or another. And it, it to me, and at least in my mind, it all links back. It's all like a web, like Indra's net, where when you put pressure one place, it wobbles. So in, in, how, in the underlying uh, philosophy, uh, you, were, you were discussing this continental philosophy? Yeah, you know, kind of your French and German um, philosophy, which was, I, I studied, that's what I studied in graduate school. And the difference, you know, between that and like Anglo-American analytic philosophy is a bit of a sense of direct engagement, at least in my way of thinking, where as opposed to coming up with answers, you know, and in like in today's, like in the publishing world today, you know, there's all the stuff about chat GPT and artificial intelligence and so forth. And, and, you know, algorithms are so influential, but the idea there is that they're providing you with the answer, right? They're bringing everything to a single point of connection and it's, and funneling everything, right? Whereas, and to my way of thinking, continental philosophy is one great way of responding to that because it demands that you see everything as being relative, right? So it expands the way that we're, there isn't necessarily a right answer. Everything is just in relationship to everything else. And when you shift that relationship, the total composition shifts as well. So um, when you're writing the story, stories, <laughs> when you're putting this together, do you, do you have any much violence and much sex and, and all that? Or is it just completely all in the mind and kind of a suspense tension sort of? No, man, there's, there's violence and sex for sure. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, it's described as gritty and, and, and I think that that's accurate. I don't, um, I don't fetishize violence, uh, in my books or in my mind. So there isn't, it doesn't play out in that way, right? It doesn't play out in, in the sense that I don't put readers in a situation where they have to sit with that violence and the emotions that that brings up. It's, the violence is consequential, but it's, yeah, it's all over. It's all over. And it's drugs, too, and it's all the good stuff, man. All the good stuff is in there. Right. But you're <laughs> conscious of how you're writing it. Like, you're right. not just throwing it out there. You just kind of, you put it, it's there for a reason. Yeah, and everything, Yeah, hopefully everything in all of my books is there for a reason. When you're writing the dialogue, how, how do you do that? Like, a dialogue between your characters and stuff, are you... Um, do you act it out in your head? Do you hear it? Do you do you hear your characters actually as they go through the dialogue? Do you, how how do you run through it so that it's realistic? Yeah, I do, and I, I in my head, Vincent Bayonne is a little bit more of a cowboy, and not necessarily like a Western twang, but it's but maybe it's just a little bit, but it's like he's a little bit more of a easygoing figure, um, whereas there's like a stoicism to Kane, and yeah, I hear it in my head. Um, I do read it out as well, out loud, um, act it out a little bit. You dress up like the characters and... I, I, I don't... Well, not as far as I'm going to admit on the radio. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's okay. You dress up like them. You, you act, act like them. You go out there and... You, do you use, like, real, real character, like, people 
that you really know as the basis of some of your characters? Sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Um, I mean, everything gets changed and, and, you know, has to conform to the narrative and has to conform to what the story demands and, and what's going on there. So nothing is, is ever that close to reality, but I definitely have used, you know, things that, things that happened to me or that I did or that, that was, you know, a story that happened to friends of mine or something like that, but jazzed it up. Right. But made it and then and made it fit the situation. Right. But it's I think that there's a way of making things have a level of unexpected truth to them. Right. Not just so that they they feel true, but there's a way of finding that nugget in reality that is it's the thing that fits that you didn't expect that you would never see on TV. Right. It's like the you know, like if you get on the bus Right, people are way uglier than they are on on primetime television. Right, I know. I keep getting so disappointed. You <laughs> I know. know. I go to the grocery store and everyone, they don't look like they do on TV. How come everyone's so happy? Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and their lives are so less dramatic. But bringing that nugget of reality to it, I think, is something that you have to that you can really only do by connecting it to that experience. Well, we we want some names and that phone numbers, <laughs> people that you've used, and then we can get them on the line now, and then you can have a big argument. So that's good radio, right? That's good. no, but I mean, is, is there someone like? Because I've had writers tell me that, um, and you know, not only real big writers and also real first time writers, and they have the same thing. They go out to the grocery store someone cuts them off in line or they say something rude and they've taken that character the concept of that person or that that, that's been rude to them made them into a character and had them killed off or in some bad situation and stuff do you ever draw from that that experience no oh too bad i'm sorry (laughs) (laughs) there's nothing better than finding that terrible person that does awful things and they end up in the basement with a rat eating them or something. I don't know. <laughs> just, See, just so Andy, Andy, you can tell Al works on, uh, you know, writes about serial killers, killers a lot. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's just, it's just, it's nice to see something. It makes you feel good, but in a sense, see, because like I love the uh, gritty noir um, because it's realistic. You know, the people are who they are. They, there's there's some good people. Sometimes they don't always do good things or they do things that they have to at a time and it's not always right. You know, there's all that, this reality, that's all great. But do you ever have any resolve in, 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 in your story uh, throughout? Is there any sort of happy endings besides at the massage parlor? I mean, is there some sort of a... <laughs> no, do you know what I'm saying? Is I do. there anything that does turn out good? Um, you, you know, because... I don't no, that you not in the way that you're not in that sort of there's like nobody. There's, yeah, there's resolution. Right. But it never comes. And I have no intention of ever bringing it to a point where everything is happy. I just don't see the world that way. And that, to be like to link these two questions together, if I may. This is why I never have rats eating the face of the person who cut me off in line. Because of the same reason that I'm never going to bring a level of resolution that is a happy ending where the world has been righted, where the world has been placed back on, on a solid footing. 
because I just don't see the world in that way. I, I agree with that in the sense because I also I, I don't see that the world ever has been that way. Yeah. Like, because there's so much, you know, where people, you see, I'm working on a stuff from the 60s right now. So all I do right now is my, my TV. I'm watching What's My Line from 1960. <laughs> Everything's, everything is 1960. So I, that's the only way I can really get into why people are acting, reacting, say things, do things, how they behave and what they believe is going on at the time. That's the only way I can get myself into that place where it's realistic. But I think that. Even then, they said things are not like that. You know, they were complaining about the rock music and stuff and Elvis. And there was things to them they thought the world was was going to hell, and so so to speak. I think it's always been that way. I think there's always all of this stuff that we have to deal with. That it's not really it's not pretty. We make it that way, but it isn't really pretty. And uh, I don't think it's changed. I think maybe the people have changed like the names, but it's still the same problem. We read, we read our expectations for the future back onto our past. And it's like this weird form of sanitization, right? Like, like if you think about uh, Led Zeppelin's Stairway to Heaven, right? If I'm hearing that song correctly, the song is about a prostitute, right? It's about a prostitute who is trying to bridge the gap between the world that she lives in and the paradise that she desires. Right. And maybe that's just I mean, because that's sort of what some of my work is about. Right. Like it deals with prostitutes and it deals with that type of lifestyle. And so maybe that's just my way of interpreting that song. But that song you hear, like it wouldn't be weird to hear that at like an eighth grade graduation party. Right. Or something like that. Like that song is completely sanitized and it's made. It's considered, you know, utterly, utterly mainstream. And it's a, one of the greatest rock songs of all time. Don't get me wrong. But we don't hear the content of that song when we hear the song anymore, right? When we, when we look back on those historical periods, we don't hear the way in which it was being experienced. We hear our expectations. And to, to shove a knife in that and twist, to me, is way more satisfying than to create you know, then to have the rats eating the face of the guy who cut me off, right? Then to, then something that would be wrathful in that sense, which is wrath is a concept. I bring that up because it's a concept in Angel Falling, the book that's coming out here in December. And, and it's, it's the way that the police, it's questioning the way in which police or policing functions as a form of wrath. And yeah. And I, I think putting pressure on the way we conceptualize as opposed to the way we actually sing. That's what interests me. So this is a really happy, happy series. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm like, I'm hearing myself and I'm starting to worry. <laughs> yeah, he's got, he's got bodies in the basement. Rats, rats eating them right now. Just, just, you know, for the uh, minute excitement of, you know. I miss a while I work, happiness. man. To me, this is all fun. I don't know. It just comes out raw. <laughs> Yeah. Well, I think I think it's great. I think it's it's I think it's realistic. I think that which we I think in society we find ourselves falling in and out of all the time. You know, we we like the things to look good and pretty and 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 all be happy and rosy, but a lot of times it's not. So rather than to ignore it or deny it, we sometimes need to face it. You know, I think and work through it. 
But uh, I don't think it's an ending. I, I don't think it really ever ends. I think it just keeps on going. So And it has its own beats yeah. and cycles, yeah, for sure. Okay, let's bring out the crack. Let's get this over with. <laughs> <laughs> You know, slit my wrist now, bleed out in the tub. No, so so where do you, what what do you, what kind of things uh, do you enjoy yourself that go into this? Is, is there some is there love involved? Is there some real feelings um, that you carry into this book yourself? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely um, there's definitely love, and in the sense of we can all we can find resolution in our own individual ways. I don't I don't think it's 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 for me to say what that is for anybody else, but I think that teasing that out and engaging that allows us to feel better in the moment. And it, it, you know, it's a cathartic process for me, but I'm also bringing into play a lot of my relationships and, you know, friendship is really important to me. Being in nature is really important to me. Um, the energy of the city is something that I absolutely love. Music is something that's why I went with the Led Zeppelin example, right? Music is something that I absolutely love and I'm incredibly passionate about. I, I think that, you know, going to a concert is one of the few remaining community events that is a real raw, like visceral community event where the entire crowd is into something together and they're sharing that experience and there are ritual aspects to it. And all of that goes into my work, right? I, I, I try to bring um, a certain amount of musicality to the way that I create background um, and have music coming up and cropping up at different moments and different scenes in my work. And the relationships between people, you know, I think, I think everybody cares about one another in the ways that they can. And I think that that's a reasonable way to approach interpersonal relationship. I think that that's an honest way of doing that. And that is maybe one of the most important things in my life. So experiencing the last, let's say, oh, I don't want to say 10 years, but it's, it seems like that. But, um, <laughs> since 16 on, you know, the yeah. um, weird events that we've gone through. And, and, you know, not just, you know, the orange monster, but the, the I'm thinking of pandemic and I'm thinking of uh, not even the event themselves, but how people are reacting to the things that go on. Does that sort of change how you write or do you think that influences how you write or does it make it darker for instance do you think or what's your thoughts on that i think it's definitely motivated me um because i i think that i think we've handled things incredibly poorly across the board and we haven't we haven't you know as a culture and as a society we haven't taken the time to think you know why are I may disagree with these people or those people right. or these other people, right. but why are they behaving in the way they're behaving? Why are they seeing this the way that they're seeing it? Why are they responding in this way? And conversely, of course, why am I right? Like, why do I, 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 the, the pandemic is an interesting one, I think, because we didn't know what to do, right? We didn't know what was going on and we didn't know where to turn to understand it better. And I think that, like, if you think about the internet, the internet didn't create a crisis of authority. It exposed a crisis of authority that was already inherent in publishing, right? The publishing industry had, and to a certain degree, though a lesser perhaps degree, had 
developed its own definition of authority, right, and validated that process, and in certain ways still does, right? There are a lot of famous examples of ways in which, of, of incidents that belied that. Right, that, that eroded the grounding on which that process of publication was done. And you have all kinds of propaganda, you know, throughout history and so forth. But the internet made that ubiquitous and it made it, and it made it available to the common individual so that they didn't have to go through the process of having it vet or having another special interest support that. So while we as individuals struggle more, to determine what we understand to be accurate, to find answers that resonate with ourselves. I don't know that the context changed, like we were talking about earlier. And that, to me, is motivating. And the way that the pandemic played out, the way that so much nonsense in a relatively short period of time played, not only played out, but affected all of our lives, like in incredible ways. That, to me, is motivating. And the only answer that I know just, you know, because of what the way that my life played out and the way that I went from one environment to a completely different environment to the environment that I'm in now, the only answer that I have is, is breathing life into culture, right? The way that literature and fiction plays out and exists culturally as, as a form of direct engagement. That's the only answer I know. And, and the only one that I am equipped to provide you know, as, as my own minor contribution. Like, not, as, not necessarily as, like, an idealistic contribution, but that's what I have, and that's what I can give. Is that it? That's it. <laughs> that's it. Well, I'm disappointed. Is that it? That's all I can not, oh My God, I'm just going to bleed out now. That's it. <laughs> well, anyway. So, listen, um, speaking of concerts and live action and all that, so... You know, do you do social media? Do you hang out online? Do you have, uh, where do people, where do you want people to find you? Bars, cocktail <laughs> lounge? I mean, I think the best places are my websites. Uh, IndiePero.com, you know, is my author website, and that's where you can um, find my nonfiction, the Speaking of Non Sequiturs. You can also, you know, sign up for my newsletter there. Um, CentralCityBooks.com is a great place to explore the world of Central City the neighborhoods, the characters, um, and see the different, the different books that I've, that I've put out. And you can also sign up for my newsletter there. I am available, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X as they call it now, Tickety Talk, all that good stuff. You can find me there too. Oh, ticket. You're on TikTok. You're on there, you know, putting on a show. Uh, no, it's, it's like, uh, book trailers and like, uh, graphic design type stuff, but. That's interesting. Oh, it's great. You know, yeah, the Internet has some good stuff, too. Um, well, okay, so your books, some of them are out now, and you've got Angel Falling coming out early December. Our guest, Indy Perro. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www. HouseofMystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.